Hello and welcome to the Neurodivergent Lives podcast, a podcast of community stories going into the lives of being neurodivergent in a neurotypical world. The podcast is hosted by myself, Bede Gagan Hart, dyslexic, ADHD. Quick disclaimer, we find that in neurodiversity, often people have a preference on the language used. In the podcast, the guest will use the language they are most comfortable and find most appropriate for their situation. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. And today we welcome Sarah. So could you give a quick introduction, Sarah? Hi, uh, my name's Sarah Olifa. Um, So I come from South East London. I was actually, I used to live in an area called Camberwell, but I currently stay in an area called Bermondsey. Um, I um, work um, as a program manager for a nonprofit called Coding Black Females. Um, I've had so many different random jobs in my life. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy to be on this podcast. Um, my um, pronouns are sh um, she, her, and um, I come from um, the diaspora. So my parents are from Africa. My mom is my is Ghanaian and my dad is Nigerian. Um, so yeah, there was lots of jollof rice in the house and all that stuff. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, that's that's me. So that that's a bit of me. Um, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, you were, you gave a better introduction than I ever think <laughs> I could. Um, so you've come on this podcast to talk about neurodiversity. Um, where did neurodiversity start for you? Oh, so I was actually diagnosed with a neurodiverse condition quite late in life, actually. So I didn't actually find out I had a neurodiversity until I was, I think, 23 years old. So quite late in life. But I do believe I did have a neurodiverse condition. And I only kind of felt that I had that I can as early as remember at the age of six years old. I think that was when I realized that I was a bit different from everybody else. And you know, when everyone else was like um, adding up letter, adding up, you know, the um, arithmetics or like adding up the, the numbers, I couldn't do it quite quickly in my head. Um, and I knew I couldn't spell very well or like um, a lot of the time, um, because everyone was getting things out, I, I would copy things on the board because I didn't remember the information, but everyone else was getting it. So I kind of knew I possibly may have had dyslexia, but obviously it wasn't properly diagnosed um so yeah that's kind of where like I believe I had a neurodiverse condition um it was quite interesting growing up because I grew up in a very traditional like African household um with my dad being Nigerian and mum being Ghanaian and I my parents were um quite aware of the fact that maybe I was struggling a little bit in school so um, it, I, they thought maybe this girl has dyslexia, but it was almost like they didn't want me to get diagnosed. And I, I believe now when I think about it, it's because they didn't want me to be labelled at school. So they were a bit concerned that obviously I was in a school, I was probably, my first primary school that I went to was in Surrey, interestingly enough. And I was like one of the only few black people in the school. 
so um, my parents were like, we don't want you being labelled and we don't want you to be treated too differently, even though I'm different there anyway. Um, and um, they they thought the best way to tackle it is not kind of make a big deal about it, but we'll get you private tutors. So my dad always made myself and my younger brother go to like a Saturday school or I would go to a private tutor's house and try and get better at, at my English and maths. Um, and yeah, that was kind of my start of like, kind of knowing that I had a neurodiverse condition, but not it really being acknowledged because it was just a fear of, you know, my family and my parents not wanting me to be labelled or, you know, not like rubbished off, <laughs> if that makes any sense, or just written off by the system. So they just wanted to give me every possible chance for me to succeed. Um, and um, I feel like because I had dyslexia, I had to work a lot harder than everyone. So obviously when everyone had com completed their work, I'll be still trying to catch up and making sure that I was like being like everybody else. Um, also like one of the biggest things I remember when I went to secondary school was, um, I, I don't know if any, I, don't, I think things have changed a lot a long time when I was in school but I remember that you were given like a timetable at school and that timetable you would know if you had double maths or you had science or whatever um, and I could never remember what was my schedule but everyone else could I just couldn't remember it so what what I used to do is I, I had like a backpack and I carried every single one of my books in my bag like on you know carrying it which was very very heavy for me but it was the only way that I could kind of mask that I had um, dyslexia because I just couldn't remember what class I had. And I, I remember I just followed everyone else because I didn't know which like, class I was supposed to go to. Um, and I think one girl noticed that, oh, she doesn't seem to know where she's going. And I'm like, oh, um, what class do we have today? I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. And I think I felt kind of embarrassed and I got caught out in that sense. So that I think that was the first time I kind of realized I had like dyslexia, but I knew I wasn't like I knew in my head I wasn't stupid or I was dumb, but I just knew that I just did it. I couldn't remember things the same way everyone else did. Um, so I'm just these are things that I do I do remember like knowing that oh yeah you 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 are not like everyone else and things take longer for you to understand. But I knew I wasn't. I just knew I wasn't dumb, and I think that may have came from my dad who always said that like you can always achieve what you wanted to, to achieve and I feel like coming from a background, background where my parents did love me so much they kind of gave me that in, that instillment to be resilient and just keep pushing through so I think that's what kind of helped me get through that even though teachers have told me that I wouldn't go to university I kept <laughs> kept doing the exam um, or finding ways to get into university by like you know, just applying. I mean, I'm, I am I failed my A-levels and I ended up doing an MVQ, but I still had determination of like going to university. And I applied to all these different unis. A lot of them rejected me because, you know, I didn't have the right level of UKES points. And I think two accepted me. I don't know how, they just did. And I thought, okay, let me run with this. And I managed to get into uni. And it was only when I got to the end of my university studies, that's when they told me I had dyslexia and I was like oh 
now everything makes sense and that's why my I'm I'm like this but it didn't hinder on the fact that I didn't believe I was not intelligent it just I just knew I didn't understand things the same way that everyone else did <laughs> I think that's really interesting because you know personally I've had similar parts to that story um and it's not like anyone like there were certain times where people told me I was just not as clever as the rest but I very much took it personally in terms of, you know, oh, I'm not as good as other people like in this manner because I didn't understand why sometimes. Um, but it shows how that sort of, you know, that having caring people around you that are intensely supportive, you might not be able to truly identify why it is you're struggling, but you are able to get through it and create this resilience, which is really empowering, I guess. Um, so how do you think you know, clearly you've you've had many lessons throughout your childhood in terms of how to get through the difficulties. Then you had this diagnosis. How do you think that shaped and led to the next few years in your life? So when I was finally diagnosed with dyslexia while I was at uni, they gave me like, so I was, I can't pronounce it, but it's a syndrome called uh, Miria, Miria Lynn syndrome. I can't, I'm probably mispronouncing it. I mean, just quickly this is a prime example of they yeah. give dyslexics words we can't spell <laughs> like dyslexia i spell it wrong every time every time <laughs> yes yeah same <laughs> so very complicated words for people that can't understand things complicatedly written but um <laughs> But um, yeah, like I think it's called Miriam Lee's syndrome. I'm probably mispronouncing it wrong. But um, it basically meant that when I look on a page which is got black and white on it, my eyes somehow cannot pick up the words and it jumps on the page. And it's very common in people that have dyslexia. So what they did for me is they provided me a laptop where I can put yellow tint in. In my case, actually, they tried a yellow tint in on me and I didn't really work very well with my eyes. So they gave me blue tint in. And I also got glasses that had a blue tint on it as well. And that just kind of changed things for me because I could actually read words on the page, which is crazy, but it actually made a big difference because I would get headaches reading because I really enjoyed reading, but I used to get a lot of headaches because the words would be jumping on the page and I couldn't read the book and I'll get frustrated. So that's why I always turn to audio books because it's just easier for me to kind of understand what's going on. And I get the feeling of the, I get the essence of what is being written or the story that is being told. So that was the first thing. They also gave me a laptop which had talk and text software. So that meant that I didn't have to um, sit there like thinking in my head, how do I spell this word? I could just talk into my laptop. And then that helped me write my essays a lot easier. So like it was quite empowering to know that there were things out there that I could have been using all these years <laughs> which is very frustrating, that could have made my life a lot easier. Um, and I feel like, I felt a sense of relief that, yeah, I've actually been officially diagnosed with dyslexia, but I felt kind of upset because I felt like the system kind of let me down and left it to my parents because they knew that I wasn't picking up in the same way that other kids were. And that's the only thing they knew how to do was like, let's just find her a, a private tutor that, 
maybe can help her get better at her English and maths. Um, and maybe that too, I didn't have a proper understanding of like, you know, neurodiverse conditions then. But um, they, that they did what they thought was best because they just didn't want me to fall behind or fail, you know, which was what they just wanted to give me every opportunity to succeed. And my dad was very much about you've got to be educated. You have to make sure that you educate yourself to the highest possibility. And that was his like stance in life. So if he saw that there was any form of struggle with me, that's what he thought was best. But I feel like if I had those things when I was younger, uh, maybe I might be in a different place. So there's, there's, it's a, it's a really weird journey with my where I am with dyslexia and having also having ADHD because when I was diagnosed with the dyslexia, I was also diagnosed with what back then was called ADD, but um, people call it ADHD now. So it meant that I just didn't um, like I couldn't pay attention for long periods. So I I was diagnosed with both conditions and obviously this this eye condition that comes very typically with people that have dyslexia this doesn't mean you can't see it just means that when you're reading for some reason I don't know what it is they kind of explain it to me like if you see black and white it doesn't read in your eyes but if you just put a bit of color in it whether that be blue yellow whatever for whatever reason dyslexic people can read it <laughs> high, high contrast we we yeah. struggle with the high contrast and um, um there's a study that I use at work to to explain why every presentation I make has a off-colored background of like a mm. pastel color and it will reduce the visual stress for anyone especially a dyslexic person so it's one of those great examples of the curb cut effect um you mentioned you worked for a non-profit how have you gotten to where you are now working for this nonprofit and what's the future? Oh, okay. So, <laughs> um, so my work history is very um, diverse and I've done different jobs. Um, so I think my first job was working in a well-known restaurant that I didn't like and I didn't last very long. I, I think I only worked there for a week and then my dad's like you need to go and find a job you can't just quit because it's too hard so <laughs> I left that job um, I worked in, in retail for many years so I kind of started working as a cashier girl and it was actually ideal for me because I didn't have to think about the change because all the, the answers were there and I remember there was a job that my friends applied for which was working um, for a bakery um, and um, part of the the task of the bakery so they didn't have digital tills at the time so they had to work out how much change to give someone and I had to do like a maths test and I failed because um, <laughs> uh, because I couldn't give the right change so I, I didn't get the job but then I got another job where they had everything digitally done. So I didn't have to think about, you know, giving people the wrong change. So I think people don't think about these things, but it's like, it takes me a long time to add things up in my head. Even though I know how to do it, it's just, I can't do mental arithmetic very fast. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, so I, I remember not getting that job. So I, I managed to work in a shop in, on, in retail for years. And then I got quite frustrated and tired working there because it was quite monotonous because one thing I think maybe if anyone's listening to this that's dyslexic um, you might not be the same but a lot of the time we get very bored of things and um, we have to do so many different things so um, 
yeah, I started working in a retail store. And then um, from there, I did work in the call center, which I think um, probably up to now has probably traumatized me for up to date because you're calling people and they're constantly telling you, don't call me, I don't want to take your call. And they're putting their phone down on you. And I did that job because I, I felt like it was nice money to make. I think at the time they were paying me like, nine pounds an hour or something like that and I thought that was really good money for me whilst I was at uni so um, I did it um, as a job that I didn't have to to like worry too much about it but I think it kind of caused me to have a sense of reject rejection sensitivity dysphoria I think it's called um, I haven't been diagnosed with it officially but like I feel like even now having to make calls to strangers it sends me into this uh I'm having to like mask and it's it's not a nice feeling I don't like doing it and um I think it's held me back um a lot because there have been businesses that I've wanted to start maybe years ago but I wouldn't start them because I'm just scared of being rejected and not being accepted and um like obviously even when I have friendships and people don't want to be friends with me I start questioning is it me have I done something wrong am I am I a bad person um I think it's something I still work on even now <laughs> even like when people tell me that they want to meet up with me or someone's met not come to a meeting I assume maybe they don't want to meet me maybe they think the worst of me and you just have all these silly thoughts in your head that maybe that might not be the case there and maybe they just missed the meeting or they're busy or they couldn't make it but it's just yeah sometimes it's it's something that I'm I'm still kind of working on even up to today <laughs> so, Me too. Um, Me yeah too. <laughs> so um, I have to literally force myself and tell myself that it's nothing about you sometimes people just miss appointments but I actually internalize a lot of stuff where um where I haven't gotten like um, like for example for me um, when I managed to like finish uni um, I wanted to get a role working as a journalist and I had gone for like roles so many different times and had been rejected 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 and I think that kind of stamped into my heart that maybe I should just forget of this whole journalism thing um, because maybe I'm not good enough as a writer or no one's willing to take a chance on me and I did a job working um working as an administrator for a housing association and I was just very grateful to get that job it didn't pay very well and I had been there for years and years and years and years like I think I worked there for about five five or six years um and I just did the job because I was just grateful to have a job because to go out to the job market and start going on interviews I just didn't have the confidence to do it um and um, some people might say to you that, you know, you should try to go for other jobs. And they just talk about it in such a simple way that, oh, don't stay in the same job, you'll get more money. But for me, it's a whole process of having to prepare myself for interviews, try to remember all the examples of work I've done and freezing, talking a load of crap in the interview, which always happens. And then I come out of the interview, people ask me how the interview went. I don't know. I don't remember. I, I don't even know what I said there. Um, <laughs> and I've been told, sorry, you didn't get the job. And they'll tell you what you said, what you said. And I'm like, I, I don't even want to go through this um, again. But somehow I put myself through it because of that resilience. 
Um, and um, I think that's affected me. I, I think people say when you get up and try again, you've got to keep pushing through and you'll get through. But sometimes I think that's damaged me a little bit because it's kind of made me feel like I'm not good enough because I've been told no so many times. Um, so yeah, I started working in housing association. I went on to work for another housing association, worked in housing for years and years and years, and then got into project management. Uh, worked in the civil service, did a few contract roles here and there. Um, finally, kept practicing to get better at interviews. Um, found someone that coached me through it and who was really patient with me and understood like my disability. Um, and now I work for a, a nonprofit called, um, should I say where I work, called um, Coding Black Females. And um, it, I work there as a program manager. It's an amazing organization. It's a very, very small organization. Um, and we um, focus on seeing more black women get in the tech industry, um, helping them get onto boot camps, short courses, mentorship programs, a whole host of things, um, events. Um, and just giving them the opportunities that they would not ordinarily get um, because they need, they, need, they need to see more black women in tech, which we don't see that many. So, and not just like um, at like the junior levels, but at all levels. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm doing at the moment and I do enjoy it. Um, but I've been finding it very difficult to get any of my work done this week because I've had some trauma occur in my life um, last year. And so it's brought my, it's made my ADHD and dyslexia worse, far worse that I just don't do any work. And um, that the people don't tell you that part of, um, you know, having a neurodiverse condition, they talk about the fact it's a superpower, all that stuff. And um, I try not to focus on like toxic positivity, that there are good things about being neurodiverse but sometimes it can be really debilitating and because I haven't done any work I'm now having anxiety that oh maybe I might lose my job because I've done nothing which I'm being paid to do but it's my it's like my brain won't let me do my work and it's frustrating it's like a battle with myself of I have to get this work done but I won't do nothing and then I just go into like procrastination paralysis which did I start beating myself over it's like an end never ending circle um and it's very frustrating because it's like a mental uh, it's a mental battle and it, like sometimes I'll break down in tears and cry I think what well, you know I should have done something today you know obviously my boss is going to become completely useless and then I just lose a lot of confidence and self-esteem in that in that kind of darkness that I go into <laughs> So, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult. Yeah. ADHD paralysis is um, I often just will sit down on the sofa and four hours disappear and I'm like, what did I do? Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the super how the superpower um, conversation that people always bring up is like, no, it's we're just different. We have things we're better at. We have things we're worse at. We're not superhuman. We're just different. Um, I think it was really like um, important to go into the you, you made the comment that it's recently your dyslexia and your ADHD have been worse. Um, so I think it's kind of going into like, uh, is it that your brain can actually physically change or is it that your, uh, the, the sort of symptoms and the, the barriers you face every day, they've felt more difficult and they've been more difficult if, of recent. So maybe what are some of those barriers you face and 
that you're finding more difficult as as recent so i'm just trying to think of how to answer this question so i i feel like my dyslexia and my adhd has seasons <laughs> and times where my brain does not cannot function properly um I always have the dyslexia, so there's times I just can't spell nothing, and that's why I use talks and talking text and things like that to help me like get things done. But some days it could be so bad, like so bad that it starts affecting my self-esteem. Um like like you know when you're like told you're dumb or sometimes I, I think about things that were said to me when I was younger like um one teacher said that you'll never amount to anything those things will start coming back in my head but there's nothing you can do because we've tried with you you're not actually getting it I start telling myself that maybe I'm actually useless and there's nothing I can do and this is how I am and why am I trying to why am I trying to be better where this is how you are like you, you tell your like this is a voice in your head that tells you that you are not good enough because of your neurodiverse condition um and then I can't do my job because it's replaying in my head constantly so I feel that my brain has changed in that moment where I just lack the ability to even perform or do anything and then it just becomes like a blur I look at the whole day sometimes in fact the worst thing is that I have time blindness as well. So sometimes, yeah, like I'll look at the day and I'll look and I'm like, it's five o'clock and I've done absolutely nothing. But I would think before it's 10 o'clock. How did it get to 10 a.m. and it's now five o'clock and the day has gone and I didn't even realise the time has gone. And that can be really debilitating because you're like, what the hell have I been doing? <laughs> you know, you just start like, what have I been doing for the last goodness how many hours um and it can be quite like um yeah it, be, it can be quite frustrating like when you go into this and it's like you feel that you're doing it on purpose but it's like you can't help it you can't help it and you're like why am, why am I being like this um I hope the way I've answered this kind of makes sense <laughs> no it it, yeah. it really makes sense to yeah. me in terms of like yeah. it's that um how many and i'm going to use spoon theory um which is often used in yeah. uh autism in terms of i've got low spoons today or you know low energy um and it's we just don't have any as many spoons to get us through the barriers so it's like whether it's spelling it's like no today i can't spell anything you know words no, don't know them don't know them <laughs> um or some days you're like i'm a genius i can spell everything and it just yeah. feels so random sometimes um, so sort of aware of time and coming, trying to bring it to a close, um, you mentioned before that you were, uh, wanted to set up businesses, uh, previously in life. I'm aware you've set up a few, uh, businesses around neurodiversity now, um, okay. one, a podcast and one, something else. Do you want to okay. finish on so, that? Okay. So, um, I've always worked cause I feel like working is my comfort blanket when everything fails and going to the employer but the first time I, I, I thought about sort of entrepreneurship was in 2014 I believe yeah 2014 I wanted to start a juice business actually 
and start selling juices to people but that didn't like I did it that I had so much energy about that and then I just left that business aside and I think I think when something traumatic happens I think I was dating someone at the time and we broke up so that was kind of like a traumatic thing that occurred for me so I, I just didn't have the uh, the capacity to even think about doing the business and I left that for a while so of recent I've started another business which is a coaching business I'm learning to become a coach um, to help those who have ADHD and dyslexia. I'm also looking to set up a membership as well. And I have a podcast. So my podcast is called Divine Enigma. And um, basically it's around project management, um, career development and starting side hustles. And I kind of, um, in that podcast, I talk about how you can effectively manage having dyslexia or any type of neurodiversity. I interview people with various neurodiverse conditions. I was quite on it last year, <laughs> um, really, really on it last year. And then I don't know what happened. I just fell off the wagon. I, every single week I was very consistent and then I stopped being consistent. So like if if you want to know about my podcast, I, I release episodes as of when I can. But like um I'm trying to get better at being like we doing the weekly episodes like I used to. <laughs> but um I'm, I'm sure yeah. it'll come back. <laughs> um but uh yeah, I do episodes as of when I can and um try to put the best quality content I can, which 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 is within my capacity. Yeah. So um yeah, in, that's in terms of the coaching, will you be taking have you already started coaching people or is that something you're gonna start soon? So I'm looking to start coaching people now. I've got mm-hmm. like slots open now for people if you want to get coaching. Um I've also got I'm still building up my membership platform where I'm going to get um more webinars put together for people who have ADHD and dyslexia. So you can um email me at hello at dividedegma.org which is like my um, email address um and the the website is dividedegma.org as well so it's all there um i'll probably pass on the details to you we'll, put, we'll put them in the description yeah right. um and i also have an instagram i've just literally started tiktok but i'm a bit like oh, i'll see how that goes but um <laughs> But um, yeah, so I've just started my business and I'm trying to promote it. And I really want to help people. I've, I've got coaching plans that I've put together. Um, and um, yeah, and if you like looking to like level up in your career, but you have a neurodiverse condition and you're, you suffer from fear or feeling that you're not worthy in the workplace or your liability, you're not, because that's the things I used to feel. You have so much to offer. Um, it's just about finding the right employer that aligns with your values. Um, yeah, I, I can help you do that, which is what I've done now. And I work for a brilliant employer who's so understanding um, and just just gets, you know, that I, I might not have everything together, but when I do produce work, it's really good work. So, yeah, that's that's um, <laughs> that's being a nutshell. Yeah. No, I mean, it sounds like you're always trying to support and help people. So it's really impressive. Um, Thank you very much for coming on today, Sarah. It was really good to listen to your story. Thank you so much for having me, Bidel. It's been such an honour. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're interested in any of Sarah's different businesses, so her podcast or her coaching service, then please look at the links in the description. I'll link her TikTok, her social media, her website and her email if you would like to get in contact. Also, please do remember that if you would like to be part of the story and record your own episode on the podcast, then go to the link in our socials and you can book a meeting to record with us and hopefully feature on the podcast too. Have a nice day.